Good morning. Hope you're having a great Monday morning. And um, time to get this show started. First, we're going to get this started right here with this uh, woof, embarrassing, embarrassing story. That's all I got to say. This is very embarrassing. All right. Let's get into it. Our talk radio live in 4K. embarrassing man ah uh, 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 that is uh very embarrassing very very embarrassing I mean I wonder if she knows the history of you know the royal family the british royal family and what they did to people in africa and you're just so quick to just you know kneel, grovel and kneel to him like you're a slave that's that's what i want to know like what what the heck was going on in your head That's, I really want to know that. How you feel that you could just degrade yourself like that. That's what I'd like to know. I really would. Second, having a little problem here getting the article. Here we are. All right, here we are with this article. When the color purple hell is going on, a woman falls to her knees to meet King Charles, sparks hilarious reactions. A video of a black woman crawling on her knees toward King Charles has taken over the internet, sparking an intense debate and several reactions. In the Instagram video uploaded, by at the shade room on December 17th, 2022. The king was visiting a restaurant established and went into the kitchens to see the staff. After he was introduced and welcomed by the host, a few staff members were seen being delighted to see their royal monarch. Many of them were happy clicking pictures using their phones. However, one woman was so pleased to meet the king that she began jumping with joy and squealing, quickly falling to her knees in elation while her colleagues tried to help her up, she refused their help and started crawling toward the King Charles, who then greeted her with a hug. <sighs> Several Nixians did not like this, with some even likening the moment to Alice Walker's popular expertly novel, The Color Purple. The story revolves around race and family and have garnered critical acclaim, making it one of the most prominent works of literature when teaching race theory. As such, the Instagrammer at Spirit World shared their confusion after seeing the black woman reacting with so much awe upon meeting the king. They said, what in that color purple hell going on here? <laughs> oh, man. 
Considering the severe impact centuries of British colonialism had on several countries, internet users shared their distaste towards the black woman who fell to her knees when she met King Charles. Many have criticized the woman for loving the oppressor and have taken the opportunity to share how little the British monarchy means to them. Nitsen's claim, claim to cringe from secondhand embarrassment claimed that they would never do such a thing to the royal family. In addition, many people, especially those of African and Asian descent, have also expressed their revulsion, even indifference to the British royal family and other colonizing entities for decades now. Hence, seeing this immigrant woman react with such joy upon just meeting the King Charles left a sour taste in many people's mouths. While many reacted with disgust, others laughed at the woman's emotions and react and called her out for being a clown. All right, here's what Angela Mann says. Woman, and why are you, calm down woman, and why are you kneeling on your knees to meet King Charles III? Blimey, you went too far. Here's another one. I just saw that video of a, that black woman stand, standing out for the King Charles and falling to her knees in front of him. Sickening to my core, loving your oppressors while. All right, let's see what she got to say. All right, it's not showing. All right, it's not playing. All right, here's what Hope had to say. Some black people thought Will Smith slapping Chris Rock was an embarrassment to black people. Not me. This black woman crawling on her knees to King Charles was really the embarrassment. I vibration girl. I saw that woman on her knees to for King Charles and I got fifth hand embarrassment. <laughs> oh boy. King Charles was visiting, visiting a Jewish community center while they were making preparations for Hanukkah celebrations. While the event didn't seem to get much coverage, the British monarch was seen dancing with a few old Jewish men who were teaching him the traditional projects. Oh man. But yeah, man, I, I really do think You know, a lot of a lot of those blacks in Britain, either they don't know the history, or they don't seem to care, or worse, they were groomed to think that it's okay to just worship these people. That's how I see it, and it's sad. It really is. It's a, it's a sad state of affairs. That is how they want to live their lives. All right. On to the next story. Okay. Polish police chief reveals details about explosive gifts from Ukraine. Ukrainian officials have reportedly assured their guests that souvenir grenade launchers were harmless. Souvenir grenade launchers. Commander in chief of the Polish police, General Jaroslaw Sex can't pronounce his name, has confirmed on a radio interview that he was slightly injured by the blast when moving two grenade launchers given to him as gifts by Kiev officials. The, ex the explosion, which occurred inside the police headquarters in Warsaw on Wednesday, was first reported by Polish Interior Ministry. The blast caused damage on three floors of the building, but there was no fire, media said. A civilian employee at the HQ also received minor injuries in the blast. When I was moving the used grenade launchers, which were gifts from the Ukrainians, there was an explosion. Uh, Chicken told Poland's RMF 
FM radio on Saturday. The explosion was powerful. The force of the impact went through the floor and damaged the ceiling. RMF FM also cited a source from a Polish delegation that had visited Ukraine as saying that Kyiv officials gave Stemizis the two anti-tank grenade launchers as souvenirs. Weapons were likely German-made Matador launchers, also known as RGW-90s. According to the source, the Ukrainian side had also assured Stemizis um, that the launchers were implorable and harmless. The first launcher was reportedly given to Shekhovsky uh, by Igor Kilmenko, Ukraine's top police officer. The weapon was said to have been used to fire at a Russian tank and later converted into a loudspeaker. The second launcher was presented to the Polish police chief by General Dmitry Bondair, the deputy head of Ukraine's emergency services. RMFFM reported Shekhovsky uh, is now expected to be questioned as a witness by the prosecutor's office, according to the outlet. Poland has been among Ukraine's top supporters since Russia launched a military operation in the neighboring state in the late February. Warsaw has delivered heavy weapons to Kyiv, including more than 200 Soviet-designed T-72 tanks. Multiple Polish officials have traveled to Ukraine. Moscow has also claimed that Polish mercenaries have been actively fighting in Ukraine. Hmm. Well, you got to be careful about uh, you got to be careful about who you get gifts from, and Crane is one of those people that you have to be careful. All right, because they are not people to be played with, and they are very dangerous and insane people. That's who they are. They're extremely dangerous. All right. Zelensky aide confirms Ukraine tried to kill top Russian general. The New York Times has reported that Washington attempted to dissuade Kiev from carrying out the attack. Kiev's forces did attempt to kill Russia's chief of general staff, Valery Gerasimov, during a visit he made to the front lines in Ukraine. Alexei Arestovich a senior aide to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky had submitted. Aristovich has Aristovich was commenting on a report by the New York Times on Saturday that claimed Washington, which backs Ukraine in the conflict with Russia, sought to take sought to talk Kiev out of targeting the top Russian commander back in April. The paper sources claimed that the U.S. had concealed the information about Gerasimov's possible planned visit to the front lines from Ukraine from Zelensky's government over concerns that an attack on a valuable Russian asset could provoke a direct military confrontation between Russia and American forces. Ukrainians learned, however, about the commander's trip through their own channels. We told them not to do it. We were like, hey, that's too much. A senior American official told the New York Times, Eve still shelled the positions where Gerasminov was thought to have been, but the general was unaffected by the strike, according to the outlet. Paper claimed the U.S. had learned of possible plans for Gerasminov to visit the front lines and decided to withhold the information from Ukraine out of fear that Kiev might try to kill the general, potentially sparking a conflict between the U.S. and Russia, the New York Times explained. The Ukrainian military had reportedly obtained the information about Gerasminov's plans anyway. Let's uncover the terrible mystery. Gerasminov was in Izium, and we fired at Gerasminov. It happened, Zelensky aide said in a YouTube interview with Russia's activist Mark Fagan on Sunday. Kiev hit the Russia battle headquarters, visit by, visited by the chief of general staff, but Gerasminov had already left when the shelling took place, Aristovich claimed. The Zium is a city in Krakow region in northeastern Ukraine, which had been under control of the Russian forces between April and September. Moscow has never officially confirmed that Gerasminov traveled to Ukraine in April. According to the Russian Defense Ministry, the commander has also visited the Russian troops on the front lines in early July. 
So as you can see, the United States is helping Ukraine even more. And it's only going to be a matter of time before Russia wants to return the favor. Let's read some of these comments. Washington, which backs Ukraine in the conflict with Russia, sought to talk Kiev out of targeting top Russian commander. It's called reverse psychology. <laughs> U.S. doesn't care about collateral damage so long as CNN and company doesn't see body bags arriving on U.S. soil. They will fight to the last Ukrainian. Here's another comment. LOL, what a load of BS. Good USA, which had no issues murdering the Iranian General Soleimani, now wants to play cautious. Here's another one. Time to go for theirs, too. This time, cut the snake's head. Another one. Except theirs are in hiding and never goes to the front lines. It sounds so very simple because it is. Destroy all Ukrainian power, no electricity, no power, no means of communication, subdue the entire region. Otherwise, you are merely letting more good men, courageous men on both sides die. Quick brutality is better than prolonged kindness. Well, if you could find a way to cut off their supply and to force them to surrender, to force Ukrainians to surrender, that would be a good idea. Cut off their power lines, cut off their communication, take away their food routes, their supplies for food. I mean, heck, I mean, <clears throat> the Ukrainian generals and the top top brass are stealing the supplies and the food, keeping it from their soldiers anyway. So cut that off, and eventually they'll surrender. Okay. Get on to the next story. meth-like drug combat drug is fueling the neo-nazis fighting for ukraine creating zombie soldiers who do not fear death Taptagon is a drug that first came to first came to prominence during the islamic state terror wave throughout the middle east since 2014 the drug reportedly re-emerged within ukraine fueling fueling neo-nazi terrorists who have used the meth-like substance on the battlefield to overcome the fear of death, becoming what people call zombie soldiers. I'm hearing persistent rumors that Ukrainian commanders are giving soldiers up to three tablets a day of Captagon. It's the brand name of Fentline, a combination of amphetamine and therophiline. The invincibility drug became popular among soldiers in Syria. This is from uh, Gonzola Lira, may know him as Coach Red Pill. The, Don the Donetsk People Republic, DPR, recently uncovered the drug laboratories where combat drugs have reportedly been developed in the village of Sopino near Maripol and administered to the Azov Battalion. Okay. You start to talk, you start taking them, you start taking him somewhere and they're, and they're laughing. They don't feel anything, no pain or anything. They're like zombies, described a Donbass soldier. Okay. DPR soldier alleged that the drugs, which are a combination of Captagon, as well as other amphetamines, cause stupidity and courage <laughs> among the Ukrainian neo-Nazis who are said to lose all fear of death when taking the substance. Some of the neo-Nazis who are high on the drug admitted to killing fellow Ukrainian citizens, saying, I understood what I was, sh I was shooting at civilians, but I was high on drugs and I was following orders. Captagon, before being banned throughout the Western world, was first manufactured in 1961 as an alternative to amphetamine and methamphetamine, used at the time to treat narcolepsy, a fatigue and behavior disorders, minimum brain function. Since the, the illegal manufacturing of the substance exploded throughout Eastern Europe and the Middle East, and it's said to have fueled ISIS throughout their terror campaign across the Middle East, combat drugs since 
has since become a staple for the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, who is said to manufacture the substance and administer it to combatants, who then are said to stay up for days without fatigue. The Azov soldiers have gone through Ukraine torturing, beating, and killing Ukrainian civilians. It has been reported that Ukrainian soldiers have killed their own indiscriminately while laughing and cheering. Wow. Okay. This is insane. Large shipments of the drug have poured into Ukraine since before the war erupted, adding validity to the reports the Ukrainian military has used the substance on the battlefield. References of the drug having been provided by NATO forces to Ukrainian resistance fighters go back to 2014 throughout, though all sources have been deleted and now untraceable. While the West continues to fuel the war in Ukraine with billions in aid, military equipment, training the local terrorists continue their torture of the local population, using women and children as human shields while high on meth. These paganistic neo-Nazi extremists are completely fueled by Western aid and drugs, while region, while regime propagandists ensure the Western population supports the complete and total destruction of Ukraine at the hands of the former comedian-turned-cartel leader Zelensky. Wow. That, that is insane. That is insane. These people are destroying their own people. The Nazis. Okay. There have been instances of the Azov Battalion attacking Dunkirk locals while high on meth. They wear swastikas on their Ukraine military uniform. Putin didn't explicitly say Ukraine government were drug addicts. The Western media made that implication. <laughs> yeah basically did <laughs> oh gosh yeah, but that's just a lot of things they ain't telling you know just not telling the American people that they're neo-Nazis that they're killing their own citizens a whole bunch of other stuff that they're not doing. oh yeah and uh, tying Ukrainian citizens to flagpoles stripping them bare naked and torturing them in the cold in the cold that's what they're doing russia warns of consequences if u.s sends patriot missiles into ukraine Kiev, ukraine russia's foreign ministry warned thursday that if the united states confirms reports that it plans to deliver sophisticated air defense missiles to ukraine would be another provocative move by the U.S. that would prompt a response from Moscow. Ministry spokesperson Maria Zarkova said in a weekly briefing Thursday that the U.S. has effectively become a party to war in Ukraine, following reports that it will provide Kyiv with Patriot surface to air missiles, the most advanced the West has yet provided to help Ukraine's military repel Russian aerial attacks. Zarakova added that the growing amount of U.S. military assistance, including the transfer of such sophisticated weapons, would mean even a broader involvement of military personnel in the hostiles could entail possible consequences. She did not specify what the consequences might be. U.S. officials said Tuesday that Washington was poised to approve sending a patriotic missile battery to Ukraine, finally agreeing to an urgent requests from Ukrainian leaders to desperate for more robust weapons to shoot down incoming Russian missiles that have crippled much of the country's vital infrastructure. An official announcement is expected soon. A Patriot battery can, can need as many as 90 troops to operate and maintain it. And for months, the U.S. was reluctant to provide the complex system because sending forces into Ukraine to operate it is a non-starter for the administration of Joe Biden. Yet concerns remain that even without the presence of the U.S. servicemen to train Ukrainians on how to use the system, deployment of the missiles could provoke Russia or risk that a fired projectile could end up hitting inside Russia, further escalating the conflict. Even before reports emerged on the delivery of the Patriot systems, Dmitry Medvedev, deputy head of Russia's Security Council, which is chaired by 
President Vladimir Putin warned that if patriots enter Ukraine, along with NATO personnel, they will immediately become a legitimate target for our armed forces. Asked Wednesday whether the Kremlin backs the, that threat, Kremlin spokes, spokesman Dmitry Peskov answered yes, but added in a conference call with reporters that he would refrain from one more from more detailed comment until the U.S. officially announces the Patriot delivery to Ukraine. White House and Pentagon leaders have said constantly that providing Ukraine with additional air defenses is a priority, and Patriot missiles have been under consideration for some time. Officials said that as the winter closes in and the Russian bombardment of civilian infrastructure escalated, the consideration took an increased priority. Ukraine's electricity provider said Thursday that the country's energy system was suffering a significant deficit of electricity and that emergency shutdowns had been applied in some areas of the country as temperatures hover around or below freezing. The state-owned grid operator, Ukraine Negro, warned in a statement on Facebook that damage caused to energy infrastructure by Russian attacks is being compounded by harsh weather conditions, including snow, ice, and strong winds. Maximum temperatures in the capital of Kiev were forecast to barely go above freezing head into the weekend, with even colder weather expected earlier next week. Karolkimo Chayumashenko, deputy head of the Ukrainian president's office, wrote on Telegram that southern Ukrainian city of Kherson was left completely without power following the Russian shelling on Thursday and adding that two people were known to have been killed in the attacks. Heavy shelling of a critical infrastructure facility in the city's Karobelin district was still underway as around 1 p.m. local time and rushing shells had hit 100 meters yards from the regional administration building, he said. As Russian attacks on civilian infrastructure continued to knock out power around the country on Wednesday and Thursday, seven civilians were killed and further 19 wounded, according to a Thursday report from the Ukrainian president's office. The head of Ukraine's eastern Donetsk province, Pavlo Krylenko, reported Thursday that Russian strikes the previous day had killed two civilians and injured seven. Kremlin-backed authorities in the region, which has which was illegally annexed by Moscow in September, announced that the Russian had taken control of 80% of the city of Marinka, seen as a critical seen as critical to Ukrainian hopes of retaking the regional capital, Donetsk. Denis Pushlin, the Moscow-installed acting regional head, told Russian state TV that fighting is ongoing in high-rise buildings. In, Avd in Avdika, some 10 kilometers, 6 miles north of Russian-held Donetsk city, there were two airstrikes overnight Wednesday, and a residential area came under rocket fire Thursday morning. Periodic artillery fire in Volodymyr, located to the southwest of Dunskes, damaged three houses west of Dunskes, the city of Karakovi, and two villages came under fire with one house damaged. I don't know, man. I mean, look, the Ukrainians are pretty much suffering because of Zelensky. Pretty much is. And the United States government is not going to listen. They're not. So I hope everybody's prepared for what's going to come. You know, this is going to be a, uh, a nuclear attack, <clears throat> possibly. After all, New York City did have a, uh, a PSA announcement what to do in, uh, in the midst of a, uh, you know, a bomb attack nuclear attack and the u.s government has invested in like was it 290 million 295 million in iodine to uh to combat radiation poisoning just to let you know just to let you know okay so moving on to the next one all right russian missile strikes pound ukraine cities Power cuts. Let's get into that one.
start with the big story that we are tracking in Vion at Dizar. Now, despite the battlefield setbacks, Russia is preparing for a major new offensive in the new year. Now, Moscow still intends to conquer pretty much the whole of Ukraine. The commander-in-chief of the Ukrainian army has said that it expects a fresh attack from Russian troops in the early months of 2023. The Ukrainian general has further said that Russia is in fact preparing some 200,000 fresh troops that it intends to send into the battlefields of Ukraine. And also in the latest news, Russia has rained down scores of missiles on Ukraine's power grids. The attacks have killed at least about two people and have damaged nine energy facilities. The attacks have also fought to introduce emergency blackouts across Kharkiv and other parts of the country as winter continues to bite. According to Ukraine's top general, air defences took out nearly about 60 of the 76 incoming missiles that were fired at critical infrastructure in the country. Meanwhile, the Ukrainian Air Force spokesperson has said that Moscow deliberately tried to distract the air defences by flying warplanes near Ukraine. Attacking our energy infrastructure, making people suffer during the winter time. That's about genocide of our nation. But I must admit that our moral is extremely strong and we will never surrender. And we will fight back until the each inch of our territory would be under control of our government and we could turn back normal life to our people and allow them to live in peace and prosperity. And it wasn't only the air defences that took out the missiles. The Ukrainian soldiers on the ground also helped in bringing down some of the missiles as well. The Ukrainian Territor Territorial Defence Squad has said that it has shot down a missile over Kiev using a machine gun. They also suggested that missiles were in fact destined for an energy plant. Now look at these visuals. The squadron shows the remnants of the missile alongside the automatic firearm that was used to bring it down. Ну, конечно, быстро он среагировал. Молодец, парнишка, молодой, резвый, реакция мгновенная. Так что такие Летели от нее зеленые искры, когда он стрелял, было видно все. Вот, и она потом начала кружиться, вот так вот заходить, короче, хвостом. Ну, когда в нее попал, искры полетели, она зашла хвостом и упала. Meanwhile, many people headed for shelters during the morning rush hour, and this was, of course, to take cover from the latest attack on vital infrastructure since October. A Kiev official described it as one of the largest missile barrages since Russia invaded in February. The Kiev residents also took cover in the metro as air raid sirens sounded above the ground. People calmly waited in one of the station's platforms as Russia rained down scores of missiles. Да, звичайно, чули вибухи. Вибухів було багато. Їхала я на тролейбусі. Ще був струмень, потім електричество пропало, і ми спустилися сюди в метро і переждаємо, поки буде відбіт воздушної тривоги, повітряної тривоги. To lift the morale of the people who took shelter inside the metro station, one man in fact took the responsibility upon himself. He entertained the rest of the people by singing traditional Ukrainian songs. And there was also some singing and dancing on the platform. Some people sat in a stationary train while others simply lay down on the hard floor. Meanwhile, the Russian Foreign Ministry has warned the United States against shipping Patriot air defense missiles to Ukraine. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Russia has said that the United States' deployment of Patriot missiles to combat Russian airstrikes will actually represent an escalation. An escalation in the U.S. role in helping Ukraine fend off Russia's 10-month war. It could also entail some possible consequences as well. However, the Russian ministry did not spell out as to what Moscow's response would be if... Pentagon were to send across the Patriot missiles. America is helping out terrorists. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. All right.
on to the next one. We're going to be talking about China now. into that story. Give the world the coronavirus and then fool us with a bogus vaccine. The answer seems to be yes, although Beijing will never admit that. China has always claimed that its vaccine among the first to be used was the answer to the deadly virus. Beijing sends its vaccines around the world and used vaccine diplomacy with those nations who were unable to pay for the medicine. It is now admitting that its jabs do not work. You know, there is a little joke about cheap Chinese products. We say, if something's made in China, it probably doesn't work. One had hoped that life-saving vaccines would be an exemption. But the latest headline from China tells quite a different story. Here's what I'm talking about. China has approved the retail sale of Pfizer's Wuhan virus spill. What's the big deal about it? Well, the big deal is that China is finally admitting that it needs a foreign COVID-19 drug. And why do you think that is? The virus has returned at monster levels to China and its vaccines have not worked. China knows that they are a sham. They are useless. The Chinese population of 1.4 billion people is now at risk. So the country needs working drugs. Because Chinese President Xi Jinping cannot keep the population locked up anymore. While medics inject jabs that simply don't work. So China was forced to buy Pfizer's anti-COVID drug. The pill's called Paxlovid. And people in China can now buy this pill online. This pill sold out just an hour after it was made available. Look at the demand. People hoarded it. And can you blame them? You see, they don't trust their own home manufactured vaccines. And it's not just the Chinese who have been scammed by Xi Jinping. The Chinese Communist Party also sent ineffective vaccines to other countries. Some 1.8 billion doses have been sold till date. 328 million have been donated. Cambodia received 0.3 million doses of a Chinese vaccine as recently as the 14th of December. What is it supposed to do with these jabs now? Pretend they will help? Reports say Chinese vaccines like the Sinovac have only been up to 61% effective against deaths and 55% against hospitalizations. You see, there is a fundamental problem with Chinese vaccines. These vaccines have been made using killed SARS-CoV-2 virus which doesn't work. It doesn't work too well. And China always knew this. Have you heard what happened in Nicaragua? The country was told that if it wanted Chinese vaccines, it would have to cut down its diplomatic ties with Taiwan. It was a tough call. Nicaragua had no option and soon an Air China plane landed with the first 200,000 doses of vaccines. A similar offer was also made to Paraguay. Paraguay refused to accept this form of medical blackmail. In 2020, Chinese President Xi Jinping told the World Health Assembly that Chinese jabs were a global public good. He lied. Countries like Bangladesh quickly realized that the Xi vaccine was more hype than medicine. Indonesia went on to become the biggest taker of Chinese jabs, followed by Brazil. Even all-weather ally Pakistan, Turkey, Iran, the Philippines, Morocco, Thailand, Argentina, Venezuela, Cambodia, Sri Lanka, Chile, Mexico, Bangladesh, they all fell for the trap. And of course, many supplemented this with vaccines from other sources too. Hiding an outbreak is bad enough. China topped it up by profiting from the pandemic that it had unleashed. This has to be criminal. Healthcare workers in Indonesia have died even after receiving Chinese vaccines. The jabs had to be revoked and replaced with AstraZeneca. 
In Hong Kong, too, the Chinese vaccine was found to be largely ineffective. What else explains the present vaccine skepticism in China? Why else do you think China was not reopening? Why else do you think China is building new hospitals at a feverish pace? Why else do you think COVID continues to rage in China when it has quietened in most of the world? This could still have consequences with people back on the streets, travel and work restored. Will we see China infecting the world yet again? There is one welcome difference. You see, the world is more careful now as Beijing sinks deeper in a disaster of its own making. Beyond world is this is sad. This is really sad. And I feel bad for the people of China because you have a dictator that feels they could make these type of decisions with your health and they feel that they could lie to the world. And there's nothing really you could do about it. You can't vote him out. He's a dictator. And it's a communist party. He stays in there for life. sucks people can say all they want about america but where would you want to live where would you really want to live that's what i could say all right moving on to the next story okay here we are Now, and shift our focus to the United States. The country's Senate has just approved the largest military budget in history. It has passed a bipartisan defense bill worth more than $858 billion, 858. This bill is at least $45 billion more than what Joe Biden had proposed initially. So what does the bill entail? A host of things. To start with, there's a 4.6% increase in military basic pay for service members, a 2% increase in housing allowance to service members, a 150% increase in federal poverty line to low-income service members, and more than $800 million of military funding for Ukraine for next year. I want to focus on the aid to Ukraine now. How will it be given to Kyiv? Well, some of it will flow directly to the Ukrainian government, but most of it will be given in the form of contracts. Contracts that are mostly awarded to U.S. defense companies. Look at this headline. It's from September this year. This is when the U.S. military awarded a $311 million contract to Raytheon and Lockheed Martin. These are two of the biggest defense companies in America. They were given a three... I also remember Lockheed Martin. They had a... Uh... A, um, a mass shooting there by a white supremacist, you know, injured and killed a lot of black workers there. Okay. And, um, and it was what Jack Cavia Brown. All right. She, um, refused to have those injured black workers, the survivor survivors of that mass shooting to get a settlement. She's now in the Supreme court. She's one that, uh, had to answer what is a woman. She's on the Biden administration. She's on Biden's team. So let you know. A little fun fact. $311 million contract to provide Javelin missiles to Ukraine. And then in December this year, the U.S. granted Raytheon missiles another contract. This one was worth $1.2 billion. It was aimed at supplying six national advanced surface-to-air missile batteries to Ukraine. These were just two examples. There are many more, many more contracts, many more defense deals, many more budget allocations to America's defense contractors to provide weapons to Ukraine. And every time these companies get a new contract, naturally, their share value jumps. In other words, American defense companies benefit at the cost of the Russia-Ukraine war. 
According to one report, as soon as the war in Ukraine broke out, many U.S. senators bought multiple shares in the companies providing weapons to Ukraine, namely Lockheed Martin and the Northrop Grumman Corporation. Let me show you some numbers. In February, when the war had not started, the share price of Lockheed Martin was $385. Four days after the war started, the share price crossed $430, an increase of nearly 23%. The same story with Northrop Grumman. In February, its share price stood at $386, and by the end of Feb, it had risen to $485. Now, that's a jump of 26% in just one month. The point I'm trying to make here is simple. The American defense industry, companies like Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, and Raytheon, they're all benefiting from the war. American lawmakers are pouring big money into their coffers and feeding the military industrial complex. This is what Gray Hayes, the CEO of Raytheon Technology, said in January this year. This was well before the war had started, I'm quoting. We are seeing, I would say, opportunities for international sales. The tensions in Eastern Europe, the tensions in the South China Sea, all of those things are putting pressure on some of the defense spending over there. So I fully expect we're going to see some benefit from it. There's no mincing words here, I repeat. We're going to see some benefit from it. From what? From war, from conflict. In other words, we are going to profit from the conflict, from the destruction, from the bloodshed, yes. That's how American defense companies perceive conflicts, as a means to boost their own bank accounts. Look at this report now. It's from May this year. That's two months after the war started. Shares of defense companies again skyrocketed. Shares of Raytheon shot up by 8%. General Dynamics, 12%. Lockheed Martin, 18%. And Northrop Grumman, a whopping 22%. We are in December now. A new military budget has been approved. We can only imagine how much more their shares are going to soar. Let me also say this. Weapon sales have always been an integral part of America's foreign policy. Its strategists like to promote conflict rather than stability. They fuel wars with their weapons. Look at this headline. For all his tall claims of getting the U.S. out of global conflicts, Donald Trump signed arms deals at a record pace, generating hundreds of billions of dollars for American defense companies and contractors. And now another president is in power, and he too is signing arms deals at an alarming pace. That's why you got to say, man. I mean, Republicans and Democrats, they're on the same team, all right? And the fact if you do your homework... You can see that the Republicans and the Democrats are benefiting from this war. All right, they're both they're investing into these uh, these um, war companies, these weapon uh, manufacturing companies. What does this tell you? That America's defense industry is immune to changes in power. American arms companies sell weapons irrespective of who's in power. Democrats. Republicans. We on world is one. She couldn't say it better myself. <clears throat> couldn't have said it better myself. People want to get mad, you know, but that's the truth. That is the truth. All right. So let's talk about these nurses right now. All right. How these nurses are going on strike. Let's see what let's see what they got to say. One second.
Exclusive in the midst of this so-called tridemic, nurses at some of the largest private hospitals in New York City are in the process of voting to authorize a strike. And we've learned as many as 17,000 nurses could walk off the job in the coming weeks. The I-team's Melissa Russo got the tip. She is in the newsroom with the details for us. Melissa? Well, Rana and Gilma, what's telling here is that the tip did not come from the nurses nor from their union. It came from hospital sources at several hospitals in the city who told me that contract negotiations were not going well and that they were extremely worried about a real possibility that their nurses could go on strike around the new year. I have been a nurse here for 45 years. Wow. And I am angry. New York City nurses say they're exhausted from the pandemic, overworked and short-staffed. Now, instead of staging rallies, thousands of nurses in New York City's major hospitals are stuffing ballot boxes, overwhelmingly voting yes to a strike, according to their union. The um, strike vote is ongoing because the members feel we all know we cannot con continue to work in such poor condition. December 31st is when contracts expire, covering 17,000 nurses at 12 separate major local hospitals, including New York Presbyterian, Maimonides Medical Center, and Mount Sinai, where voting is underway. The New York State Nurses Association sent us this video of Mount Sinai ICU nurse Lorena Vivas voting this afternoon. We're all voting yes because we've had enough of the maltreatment by management. We're constantly understaffed and they're earning money from us being understaffed. The decision to strike will be made on a hospital-by-hospital -hospital basis, requiring two-thirds of nurses to vote yes. Voting is expected to wrap up in the next week, and if a strike is authorized, hospitals will get 10 days' notice to bring in temporary non-union nurses. In a statement, New York Presbyterian Hospital told us all necessary preparations are being made to ensure that in the event of any work stoppage by the union in January, our patients continue to receive the same high-quality care without interruption. Presbyterian adding, we respect and value all of our nurses and we continue to bargain in good faith. The nurses are saying they want better wages and they oppose cuts that have been proposed to their health benefits. They say they hope not to strike, but they will if they have to. Some hospital management sources acknowledge that the nurses have a lot of leverage right now. Mount Sinai Hospital has not responded to our request for a comment. We also reached out to the Greater New York Hospital Association and we have not yet heard back. Yep, this uh, pandemic has really put I mean, due to the uh, restrictions, I mean, you really put the the power in the nurses' hands, and it was going to come up to that. It was, it was going to come to this sooner or later because, just with the cops, with the mandates, you know, you only have the cops became understaffed, so they had to, you know, get rid of the mandates. And the soon thing is going to have to be the same thing with the nurses. You're going to have to get rid of the mandates because they're understaffed and overworked. But they didn't think this through. Okay, so they're gonna have to make a choice, and they're gonna, and I hopefully they'll make the right choice. Hopefully, all right, hopefully they will. Let's check out this next story. All right, okay. Right here we go. Can you imagine you working at a fast food place and you just say you're out of a certain food, and this happens to you? Unbelievable. We are learning more about a KFC employee shot by a customer in the drive-thru because the restaurant was out of corn. Tonight, the victim's brother is talking only to Five on Your Sides, Robert Townsend. 
stunned, you know, because my brother get up to go to work every day. Norman Thomas says for about six years, his brother, 25-year-old Dion Thomas, has enjoyed working at this KFC near Del Mar and North Kings Highway in the Central West End. He says Dion started as a cook and then later excelled to assistant manager. He loved it. That's why he worked his way up. He didn't want to go nowhere else. He wanted to work there. Monday evening, the business suddenly became a crime scene. Employees told police a man became angry in the drive-thru when workers told him the restaurant was out of corn. Police say the man, around 40 or 50 years old, first threatened the employees through the speaker box. They say the customer then pulled up to the drive-thru window with a gun. It's, it's crazy. It's ludicrous. The drive-through danger spilled outside. This is just all of a sudden. Dion's co-workers told police when he went outside, the customer walked up, shot Thomas once in his side, then hopped in a car and drove off. A KFC employee tells five of your side their boss drove the wounded worker to a hospital. It's really sad. I can't understand what's going on with these people today. But they don't want to have an idea to shoot him for some corn. What? Really? The KFC worker was shot two weeks before his 26th birthday. Thomas says his brother underwent surgery and is now recovering. Meantime, he hopes the man who shot Dion over some corn is soon off the streets. They need to get him. Yeah, it's a blessing on my brother alive. Robert Townsend, five on your side. That That is insane, man. That is insane. You should... <laughs> But it, it, it's I don't I don't know what's going on. I don't know. Over some corn. I'd say mental illness is on the is on the rise in this country. Very much. All right. But here's some other stuff that is uh that could pros that could possibly cause mental illness to be on the rise hold on a minute let me get the story one minute this is just gross too it's just really gross here it is Here it is. Colorado to begin feeding recycled sewer sludge back through people's drinking water taps. Toilet to tap is slowly becoming the norm in the United States, as supposedly dwindling water supplies caused by droughts and global warming force local governments to feed treated water treated sewage sludge back through the people's drinking water taps. The latest area of the country to take this approach is Colorado, which appears to be in competition with other progressive states to become most sustainable. Part of the becoming sustainable means turning human society into cattle society. Meat eventually becomes off limits to be replaced by bugs and debris and wastewater becomes drinking water, which is the direction of Colorado is now taking. Every stream and river in this country has someone putting in their wastewater after they've treated it, said Eric Sufford, whose brewery and Castrock has been proudly serving wastewater recycled beer to customers in since 2017. Sufford's operation was exception, but the Colorado Water Quality Agency this past fall gave the green light for direct potable reuse, DPR, practices to become the norm all across the state. <sighs> what? Some parts of California have been recycling sewer water for years. Surford is partially right about treated wastewater making its way into natural water sources that are then fed through people's taps. The difference with direct potable reuse is that water does not first have to be dispersed in a large body of water. Toilet to tap means exactly what it means, what the name means. Toilet water is treated and immediately fed back into the drinking water system without ever being going back into nature for additional clean cleansing. Oh, oh man. The idea was put up for a vote in November election and a final approval was given on November 14th by Colorado Water Quality Control Commission to implement the new DPR rule. 
We are very excited about the opportunity Colorado's DPR rule provides as our state and communities look for new and innovative ways to ensure safe, high quality and sustainable drinking water supplies now and into the future, announced uh, waste reuse in celebration. The goal is to transition the people of Colorado away from consuming groundwater, which goes through a natural cleansing process as it seeps into the ground through rock, soil and sediment. Instead, Coloradians will now be drinking chemically treated water straight from the neighbor's toilet bowls. This is insane. I think it's an important tool for the long term because it gives water providers options to respond to future scarcity of water supplies, whether drought driven or other reasons, said Mark Marlowe, director of Castle Rock Water. Reports indicate that treatment process for recycled toilet bowl water involves disinfection with ozone gas or ultraviolet light, along with filtration through membranes containing microscope pores that remove solids and trace contaminants. While such a process is not explicitly prohibited in most areas of the country, it is not typically the standard because allowing nature to do much of the work has long been seen as better and safer approach for obtaining clean water. It is still, it will still be a while before even Castle Rock starts actively utilizing toilet to tap as a more testing is needed. The expectation is that in the next three to five years, Castle Rock and likely many other areas of Colorado will begin implementing toilet to tap systems to fight climate change. To fight climate change. I do not believe that at all. I don't. Water recycling is expensive, though. It is also still relies on local water sources that if the dwindling Colorado River is any indicator can run dry, leaving large cities without any potable drinking water. If you've built a big direct portable reuse system and you don't have it, you don't have it even for a few years, that causes some problems, said Greg Fisher, the demand planning manager at Denver Water. This is just, uh, this is disgusting, man. It really is. But like I said, this, is, this could possibly cause um, mental illness to be on the rise. All right. not a joke man it's definitely not a joke but they're trying to do this in the name of climate change it's really just about controlling people this is about controlling people i think people have wised up to it right now like yeah you don't really want you know you don't want to you know keep the environment clean you just you want to control people that's what you want to do basically what it is all right next story and i completely blame feminists for this i blame them and them alone i truly do cambridge dictionary redefines woman Instead of farming out our arguments or to institutions aligned with transformer ideology, we should make the forthright case that men are women and women are men are men and women are women, and that the consensus of civilizations immemorial have more wisdom than Cambridge Dictionary. <laughs> uh, oh man! On Monday, Chris Rufo noticed that the Cambridge Dictionary updated its definition of the word woman to include an adult who lives and identifies as female, though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. It also added two new model sentences. She was the first trans woman elected to a national office, and Mary is a woman who was assigned male at birth, neither of which describe a woman. A trans woman is just a man. And unless the doctor who assigned him male at birth was blind, Mary is a man too. The revision is meant to dis disarm conservative appeal to the dictionary definition of man and female in the wake of Matt Walsh's What is a Woman documentary. It's bad, of course, that Cambridge changed definition for ideological purposes, but it should have obvious to it should have been obvious to conservatives that appealing to dictionary definitions was a doomed strategy. These dictionaries are staffed by people who would sooner change the meaning of a word 
and see it used to serve conservative ends, especially on an issue like transgenderism. Conquest's second law holds that any institution not explicitly right-wing will eventually become left-wing. And if it holds for the Department of Defense, it certainly holds for the two-bit internet dictionary. It also, it's also an object lesson in the need to stop appealing to the science or biology on transgenderism. Not because our position is unscientific or because science inquiry is evil as such, but because scientific institutions have been captured by the same people who foisted transgenderism on our schools, hospitals, and federal government. Many biologists would sooner abandon biology than see their work be used by the wrong people for the wrong ends. It is a mistake to rest our arguments on the consensus of biologists when there is little chance such consensus holds an activist generation enters the field. Instead of farming out our arguments to institutions aligned with transgender ideology, we should make the forthright case that men are men and women are women, and that the consensus of civilizations and moral have more wisdom than Cambridge Dictionary. And I believe that because a lot of people don't understand that you're going to hurt a lot of people. But the reason why I blame feminists for this is because they wanted equality. That's what they wanted. They wanted equality. Well, now you got it. Okay. And you want to side with the alphabet mafia. And the alphabet mafia went right along. And then they wanted to be looked upon as women. And then you said, no, we don't like that. And then they got aggressive with you. And they had this super macho strength. I don't know where it came from. But now you guys are running for your lives. And you're crying and you're having your daughter's scholarships taken from you because they invaded your spaces. And now there's no one to blame but yourself. Feminists caused this. They caused this. All right. I'm done. Let me know what you think in the comments. Anything you want to know about the channel in the description box? Like, share, comment, and subscribe. Later.